You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Know your role and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. Hi, my name is Jim Wolfrey, and you're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where Paul and I interview great sporting coaches to try and find ideas and coaching advice that people can apply to the teams they lead. Our great coach for this episode is Rowan Taylor. Rowan is a high-performance swimming coach and the current national head coach of the Australian swimming team, the Dolphins. With over 27 years experience, Rowan has influenced many great swimming talents over his time as coaching director at the Nunawading Swimming Club, the head coach for swimming for Victoria and Tasmania, along with a long tenure as a national swim coach with the Australian team. Besides the openness in Rowan's answers, I found the way he explains his coaching philosophy of collaboration, commitment, communication and consistency very insightful and how this serves as a compass pointing his plan for Tokyo 2021. I appreciated the way he described how he reset the culture of the Nanawading swimming squad with a simple act of expecting the whole squad to wear a piece of the team kit at every training session. This served to not only create a presence on the pool deck, but to more importantly act as a simple symbol to deeply reinforce to those individuals that they are part of something far greater than just themselves. And lastly, 
just how reflective he becomes when we discuss the mentoring of other coaches and how he deals with managing moments of self-doubt and how he replaces doubt with a purpose that also includes being just a little kinder to the critic inside your head. I really enjoyed my time with him. I hope you do too. The Great Coaches Podcast. Rowan Taylor, welcome to the podcast. We're thrilled to have you on the show. Let's kick things off with where are you and what have you been up to today? Well, thanks, Jim, for having me. I'm in Melbourne uh, at the moment uh, in uh, stage four lockdown, um, which has been an interesting experience. So my day is pretty um, conservative. I've uh, spent a lot of my time on, on Zoom meetings like this with uh, different parts of our organization, just our normal catch-ups on a Monday. And I've uh, been out for a walk and uh, yeah, pretty much that's probably it. In a nutshell, that's, that's been my day. Sounds like a great way to spend a day and I'm really grateful that you found the time to chat with me today. Rowan, you're a Melbourne-born boy, but I can hear the trailings of an accent. Where is that from? Well, I grew up in, uh, well, mainly spent most of my time in California. Uh, spent a little bit of time in New Jersey uh, from around ages of nine to 12. And then I ended up in California through to finishing till uni. And then at 25, I came back to Australia, but I picked the accent up in the, in the States and uh, yeah, it doesn't go away. I've been back in, in Australia for 20, what am I now? 26 years, 20, 20, 27 years, basically. But yeah. Well, I'm Germany based and I think I have little to no chance before I pick up the local accent and I'm, still terribly embarrassing myself uh, learning the local language. Yeah, well, they say you pick an accent up before the age of 12, whatever accent you pick up is usually the one that stays with you. It's been a few months now since the announcement of your appointment as the head coach of the Dolphins. A big congratulations on that. The pre-COVID plan was to transition the head coach responsibilities of the Dolphins using the Tokyo Olympics. With that delayed now to 2021, how has the transition been going? Well, thanks for your congrats. Um, yeah, look, it's uh, it's it's really it's a challenging process to go through because we really only there's so many, I guess, um, kind of unknowns at the moment in relation to operationally what we're doing right now. So the Olympics sits where it sits next year, and we're comfortable where it is, and the dates are set, and our trials are set. So from that perspective. It's business as usual there. But when we work back to, to now, it's about the athletes and the coaches getting access to training venues. Then, you know, most of them are in the pool training, which is great, but competitions aren't in play. So we're trying to work around ensuring we've got competition um, exposure for their preparation, which is really critically important. So they're real time sensitive at the moment. I think we need to have competitions in place towards the end of the year and definitely through the beginning of the year, which will help our athletes and coaches just prepare properly. So to answer the question, I think it's just kind of, you know, we need to navigate a little bit more on a, that's why we meet regularly on a daily basis. What are we doing now? What's happening? So um, as far as the Olympic campaign part of it goes, that's in place. That will definitely be affected by how the Olympics are going to look. So, you know, we have a number of different scenarios that we're preparing ourselves for, but a lot of it's just around, do we stage in Australia, fly into Tokyo, compete, fly out, or do we have to go to, to you know, Japan beforehand? And 
those things will be determined by the IOC, and we've still got a bit of time before we find that out. But we, we'll, be, we'll be prepared for whatever happens. And what about your transition, Rowan? How's that going? Yeah, well, I'm still transitioning. Like I'm moving up to Queensland next week, uh, this, the end of this week. I've got to do 14 days in quarantine, and then I'll be on the Gold Coast. Um, and I'll catch up with, with our uh, exiting head coach, and we'll spend a few weeks together, and then the transition for me. I'll have a lot more knock-on-wood freedom to move around and visit programs and kind of do what what what, I, what the, the role traditionally holds for me, which is connecting with our, our people right now is virtual. Uh, so the transition for me, while I'm waiting to do that, or I'm, that, I'm still taking care of the Victorian landscape, which is my primary role that's been for the last few years. And with what's happening in Victoria, it's quite, um, you know, chaotic in a sense. And it, well, it's not chaotic in an operational sense, probably just people aren't allowed to do things. So, I'm working with Swimming Victoria and just helping them getting connecting with the coaches. So I'm kind of in two minds at the moment. So, yeah, I think from next week onwards, I'll be a little bit more in that other space. You mentioned reworking training scenarios and the time sensitivities that you're now facing. With athletes working on their conditioning, using various lead-up events to hit their peak at an Olympics, what has the Australian swim team's coaching staff had to do to refocus the squad now to 2021? Yeah, I think it came, it comes in stages, Jim. Like, I think the first thing we dealt with was was not training. And what do we do? So embracing a, a different form of training and, you know, isolation and and that, that actually was a great opportunity to kind of just refresh. I think the athletes took a really good and the coaches took a really good opportunity just to, to step back, particularly when we knew the Olympics were on. Now we've transitioned back into training with purpose. I think because the Olympics are so far away, it really is now down to putting some kind of events, competitions in front of the athletes and coaches to give them some purpose to just keep momentum up. So what we're finding right now is the opportunity for us is how can we create competition when not everyone can travel? So we're looking at the virtual space, you know, like you compete at your pool, I'll compete in my pool and we'll compare little things like that. So that's what the challenges and opportunities for the coaching staff sitting in front of us. It's creating some meaningful competition to build them towards our trials and the Olympics next year. You mentioned that you're still deeply involved in your current role with the Victoria and Tasmania squad. You've also been a large part of the coaching leadership group in the Australia team for some time, and you played a key leadership role with the Nunawading Swimming Club. Looking back to where your coaching started, was there a person or event that set you on your coaching journey? Oh, oh geez. Um, in, in leadership, it would probably be Bill Sweetnam, um, back in the early days when I came to Australia. So there's two pieces to it. Like as, as far as my coaching and being a technical, like in that X's and O's coaching space and having it as a career, it was probably uh, David Saylor who gave me a, my first job in the, in the States, which was kind of like a casual coaching role. And that got me to fall in love with the, 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 the environment that was coaching, you know, like, being on the pool deck and helping people, you know, go, go for their goals and facilitating an environment for them. That was one piece. But when I came to Australia, I got involved through having some, some athletes in my program that, that gives you access to talent camps and these things. And Bill Sweden was very big in, 
in um, giving me leadership opportunities, encouraging me, challenging me. And then, of course, once I've got a little bit of an idea that I did want to, I wanted to lead, it helped me within my club programs, you know, leading Nutawami and other programs. As far as leadership within the sport, I think, you know, I would, I'm, I'm one of those people like if you're going to have, a, a, if you're going to have an opinion or you're going to, you know, you want things to improve, you get involved, right? So you just get involved. And I think that I was always prepared to, to be involved. And through that, I kind of ended up in different opportunities, committees and different things with leadership that helped, um, you know, influence and, and be accountable as well. I think it's most important to be accountable. So, you know, I didn't, didn't really necessarily aspire for the head coaching position. I definitely um, wasn't, I definitely thought if, if the opportunity presented itself and I felt I was prepared, I think that that would be great. And I think I did prepare myself for leadership all the time. So I was definitely challenged to do that in whatever, in whatever capacity that came in. So with it, whether it be leading a high performance program and not a wanting leading a state, you know, or le- taking a team, Bill gave me opportunities to lead teams away. I did world cup tours under Don Talbot where I would be the head coach and we got to do tours and it was part of our development as coaches. So for me, I, you know, always enjoyed that. That's why I, I guess I've, I've always been in that space. Over that time, what was the best piece of coaching advice that you've received? Um, from a technical point of view or leadership, I guess. I guess a bit of both. So let's, let's start with technical and then let's look at the leadership side. Well, uh, uh, from probably the technical piece um, would be uh, from, from the late Gennady Tereski, who just passed away the other day, um, um, thinking of him and his family. He, he took me away on a, um, a European tour, Mount Ostrom tour, which we do every year. We were doing quite a lot of it where Don Talbot got me to travel with him because he was coaching Alexander Popoff at the time and Michael Klim and, and said Gennady would be really good to kind of share his knowledge with, with, with me. And, I think at the time I was really trying to find a philosophy around what's my coaching purpose or when I work with an athlete, what am I trying to achieve? And really what he gave me is the advice around to look at the athlete as an individual, to look at their strengths and weaknesses. Basically, you're trying to develop a program that's going to enhance their strengths and work on their weaknesses. But enhancing their strengths was really important. And not, not every athlete was the same. So what it made me do is look at my program from a more a dynamic point of view that if I had 10 athletes in the pool, I had to be having 10, roughly 10 programs operating within one, which is, which is a very big challenge. But at the same time, it, it's where you get things more right than wrong. So rather than having 10 athletes in a pool and, and giving them all one program and hoping it works for them all, it's digging down and saying, well, do you, you, know, do you need to do a little bit more dry land training because that's an area where you need to, you know, you know, get better at, but at the same time you're strong in your kick. So we've got to make feed your kick, you know, little things like that. He got me to look at it from a, a very, uh, from that perspective and talk to me about coaching Clemmy and coaching Alex and um, empowering the athletes. So he was, he was very influential, but what he did do is reinforce a lot of what I was hearing. I just was in a very isolated uh, opportunity with him where it really hit home. Um, so he had a he had a big shift in that space. So for me, that was uh, was good. I think um, recently, probably Lee Nugent, um, you know, Jocko in, in in the head coaching role, probably in leadership, uh, have mentored me to be um, to look at 
mentoring coaches as in very similar as I do with my athletes. So lining those things up. So being a mentor is not about telling you what I used to do and how good it was. It's me understanding who you are, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are as a coach and working to try to provide you with resources and support to enhance what you do. So for that, I have to build really strong relationships around the coaches as I did with the athletes. That level then of trust will come. So those two things line up for me. Um, strong relationships, individuality, trust. And uh, yeah, I think you can do a good job with people then. You've, you've touched on a lot there and, and specifically you've mentioned probably some of swimming's most iconic coaches. Uh, what do you think the great coaches do differently? I think the great coaches, um, they build the relationships around the, 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 the mutual partnership but they also maintain that leadership within that relationship. And I think for me, the ability to, 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 to pull people up and to hold them accountable at the right time. And the great ones do that very consistently. And they're, and they're afforded that from their athlete. So they're, they're afforded that moment where they go, wait a second, I'm going to challenge you right now because I think, the modern coach, um, what we're seeing now is, you know, old school coaches are just giving everyone a clip and off we go. Um, the, the, those coaches that we're talking about would, would be more targeted in that, in that space back in the day. And now I see that as a real important piece. So I think that's the same. Well, I think it's when you're leading any, any group of people, whether it be athletes or, or staff, you need to be able to hold people accountable. But to get to that point where you're able to do that, you need to be authentic. You need to have the trust of these people, the relationship. And also, you know, you don't just pull that card out every time you feel like you're not happy. You have to be pretty, pretty switched on emotionally intelligent. So, um, yeah. So just developing that theme a little further, how would you describe what the role of a coach is? So there's two. So in, in my capacity now as a head coach, um, it's to, basically create an environment where my coaches that and athletes on the team can come together and really operate in their own way within that. So we provide that framework and support around them and facilitate that. So I have to know what their needs are. I have to understand that. I have to be able to bring in expertise, bring in the resources and support it and really just ensure that environment and standards are high and that everybody within that stays at the high standard. So their behaviors really because you're bringing together really 10 different coaches, eight to 10 different coaches that are all leaders on their own, right? You're bringing athletes to 40, 30, say 30, 40 athletes together who are competitors before they get selected on the team. And now they're teammates as well as competitors. And you need to bring them together and need them to influence each other in a real positive way without getting in each other's way. So, um, but they're all individuals. This is the key. So they need their individual preparations because that's what's got them there. So for me to impart any sort of, you know, strength around them that says you need to do this, this, and this, what I need to do is say, what do you need? We're going to provide it for you, but understand there are certain requirements in this, you know, it's really about values and behaviors. And, um, you know, when you get the mix right, it's a great environment when you get the mix wrong, but that's what you, that's the risk of bringing, 
you know, people from outside groups into a group and form, forming that team for five weeks, Jim, that's the key. Mm. Now, as a year-round coach, as a high-performance coach, a lot of that exists, but then I'm responsible for driving the individual preparation. So my philosophy was bring in the right people, create the right environment, um, and ensure that the standards were high. If you walked into Nutterwadding, if you ever walk into Nutterwadding pool now, um, this is something that I brought in, well, it was there, but I really revved, uh, ramped it up, was that if you're not wearing a Nutterwadding cap or, or gear, you're not, you're not training, as simple as that. I want you representing the club. So if you walk in now, the coaching staff, everybody, it's, it's real presence. And that's natural now. That's not even, in, there's nobody's like, there's, it doesn't need to be said. So to me, it's about creating, what does that represent? It represents a unity, represents a high, you know, so your behavior is representative of the other person where the nana cap, you know, just, and so, and that wasn't hard to put in place. Young people want to be part of something greater than themselves as teams and within swimming, it's difficult. So for me as a coach and an individual coach, you know, the X's and O's of it is, is really, you know, secondary to the environment which attracts develops them holistically and retains them if i can do that then and i have high standards of who they are character the x's and o's take care of themselves right they're going to be willing participants on a daily basis to want to succeed for themselves all i got to do is facilitate that i've read recently that you describe your coaching philosophy as collaboration commitment communication consistency what are the behaviors and values central to this well well collaboration is the relationship building the you know so i see three stages of coaching so obviously i'm in a high performance piece so um you you with with athletes at that level it's a true collaboration so it's trust it's a relationship it's trust and it's individuality so the behaviors around that is that i treat you i, I coach the person in front of me so the behavior for me is I'm not telling you to do something that someone else needs to do. You know, that that's, I prove that through planning and preparation. Um, when you're a, a, a young developing athlete, say a 16 to 18 year old, I call that, that's um, what I call negotiated collaboration, right? It's that I'm going to give you three choices of a meal, chicken, fish, or, or, or um, uh, meat. Right? Is that right? Yeah. Three. And you're going to pick one. So you get to pick it, but I'm giving you a limited choice because I'm educating you on how to start taking responsibility. But at the same time, you still need guidance. And then obviously young junior athletes, you know, you're, you're, you're educating them and developing them. So you're guiding them a lot more. But where I sit, so that's what collaboration looks like. But as I talk to coaches, I say, you got to develop collaboration. You got to bring them through. Um, communication, well, again, it's, it's, it's a respectful connection with, with the athletes, what does it look like? You know, it's, it's respect. It's good morning. How are you going? How's your day? Or, you know, good luck. You know, have a good day at school. It's, uh, it's acknowledging each other. Um, it's, it's informing the athletes uh, about what's required, you know, no, no, no guesswork, right? No guesswork about that. Like, you know, you know, what's required. Um, and if we have a problem, we can work it out and sit down or we can, you know, we can, we can, we can negotiate that. Um, Sorry, the consistency. There was one before that. What is commitment? Commitment. Sorry, yeah, that. Well, that is basically leads starts with me, um, but that's the standard I set. And so, to me, commitments to 
all of those things, right? So commitment to communicating, commitment to, to, to working on what's needed, the commitment, you know, we can easily say commitment um, to being there on time and, you know, and, and, and being prepared and all those things. But I think for me, it's, um, you know, Bill used to say to me that you have to be more committed than your athlete. So I always kind of drove myself to that standard, you know, um, I think it's it, 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 that, that what that looked like to me as a young coach was, was basically, you know, just always being on pool deck and, you know, always, like basically committing my whole life to the sport. I think now it's about committing to the relationship with the part, with the athlete in what their goal and what their desires are and showing them, but, but not having to be, you know, the work-life balance comes into it. So um, that's, that's the key. And consistency, I'd say the most important thing for me, the consistency um, and what that looks like is, um, is that, you know, uh, what, you know me, you, you know what you're going to get with me and I'm not going to be uh, up and down with myself um, and the way we, we, we interact um, in a way where you're just not sure what's happening. We're chopping change things. Um, see coaches constantly changing things without, without letting the athletes know what the purpose behind it is. Um, I think with consistency, it's just about being, being that authentic person. Um, you know, what I look for with the athletes is the consistency of their efforts. Um, you know, so they got to see me as a consistent person. Like they're not coming on the pool deck going, oh, is he in a good mood today or is he in a bad mood? What's going to happen? They come on and whether I'm in a good or bad mood, they're going to, they're going to get a pretty consistent type of behavior from me. That, that's been a long journey to get there. Now those things that I, I, you know, those, those things I mentioned there are, they're where I'm at today. And they're what I look back on and say, these are the things that gave me, I feel were, were representative in my environment when I succeed, when I have success and not, not scoreboard success. That's maybe part of it. But, you know, in the eight years I was at Nutter Wadding, I didn't, I had athletes stay in the program probably beyond their performance years because they just really enjoyed being a part of the team. Um, had athletes that were there that maybe didn't blossom until later, but they, they stayed with it. Um, and so everybody, you know, seems to be uh, happy with more than just the performance side. And I look back and say, well, what was... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What was going on then? What were the things? And that's probably where I come up with the, those four, four key points. Mm, thank you for sharing those, Rowan. Each of them very powerful in their own right. 
I'd like to drill into the point you made about as a coach being aware of where an athlete is along their own journey and the success that you have had here as well. You are known for coaching and guiding breaststrokes Liesl Jones, who over her career won seven world titles and nine Olympic medals. How does a coach look beyond the time on a stopwatch to see such potential? Well, it's an interesting one because our sport is driven by scoreboard performances and recognition. So it's very easy to get caught up in, in the stop, in the watch, as you said. Um, and I think, um, <clears throat> I think our, I, I wrestle with that with coaches a lot because I feel like um, they look past that when the athlete does perform well, what is happening within the athlete's world and how you're, how you're interacting. And a lot of it's connected to how they feel about themselves and how they're, how they're, um, how they're, the interests outside. If we start focusing more on performance, they become more focused on performance. It becomes a little bit too narrow. So for me, it's about again getting back to, you know, you you you're interested in the individual, in who they are and what they're about and where they're going. And the perform, they're talented. They're not. You're not putting talent into them. My job is to is to make them uh, enjoy coming to training and work hard. And the performances will take care of themselves. But some of times that you have to make concessions at times where they're just not prepared to go to the wall because something's going on in their life that, that is affecting them. And uh, so you have to kind of balance like the push for talent, like the push for performance to say, I'm going to have to take a little time with this person because I know they're talented. And if I can get them on the blocks when they're happy, they're usually going to swim well. And so, um, that's that's the that's that's the challenge. And so, if when you see a talented athlete, um, like I said, all of a sudden people like me now come along and and say, "Oh, hey, uh, I see you got a swimmer who just won a medal. Like, like I want to invite you to this camp, and I want to invite." You. And the coach gets all of a sudden gets recognition. The athlete gets recognition. So again, you're feeding that performance piece. But what we need to do, and what we're trying to do here, is I just try to take it off another subject for a second, but what we're really looking to do is, is develop the coaching skills to understand that you got to develop the person parallel with the performer, because if you do that, you're going to have that talent with you a lot longer and that talent's going to stay in our sport a lot longer. Rowan, could you elaborate a little on the development theme and the importance of how mental development is evolving the role of a coach in swimming? Well, it's, it's very important. I think, um, uh, one for your own self as, as far as your own ability to, um, to, to stay, I guess what I call a learner, what I call a growth mindset, you know, we've all heard this, that's really critically important. So, you know, you need to be open to, to improving, improving on what you were probably good at instinctively. And we talked about reflection and reflection, you know, wisdom comes from reflection and, you know, coaches have to be willing to, to reflect, not for the purpose of looking for what didn't go well, but also looking for what did go well and then work, moving that forward. So then if I'm going to trans, translate to, to development of an athlete skill set, which is what you want to do, I've got to have a pretty good understanding of that. And then I've got to either, well, put it this way, if I feel the athlete needs somebody on an expert level a bit beyond me, I've still got to be a part of that partnership. I think what coaches uh, have made, mis- and I'm, yeah, I'm generalizing here, by the way, but the mistake that you can make sometimes is you just hand them over to somebody and say, develop their mental skills and 
sent, you know, and you don't get involved yourself. I'm a big believer. You need to be involved yourself. So if you're, if you're a performance psychologist working with my athlete, I want you working with me as well because I may be contributing to inhibiting that athlete or I may, if I know certain things that I can help, you know, within the environment to enhance it, you know, the biggest thing we talk about is the practical exposure to pressure. So, you know, no one can replicate an Olympic final. That pressure you can't replicate, but how do you prepare people for to stay focused in, in the moment in that environment? Well, you got to re- replicate these situations in training, unless I'm aware of that. So, you know, um, uh, if you're got an athlete like, um, you know, Liesl is a good example. I'll give you an example. Liesl, when she come to start training with me, um, really didn't like competing unless she felt really good and not a lot. And by the way, 99.9% of athletes are like that. So not unique. But what I felt was, is that we needed to put her into more competitive racing um, situations, regardless whether she and get her to just execute, execute, execute. So we went to Europe and spent time racing in Europe. And it was just getting her conditioned to being able to just be more automated. And that's something that I've done with a lot of my athletes. But in this particular case, I think it really came to fruition in Beijing for her. I think she was able to just be in the moment and execute. And that was a plan. That was an absolute plan. It was orchestrated between myself and her and the performance. It was a whole, it's like there was a whole bunch of us that said, what is the best way forward? So I think as a coach, you need to have that skill set for yourself, recognize it, bring in and, and be part of the process. Yeah, the connectivity between coaches and athletes must be so important and critical in that situation. I'm really interested if you have any other routines or particular ways that you have found more helpful and more effective at giving athletes feedback? Well, I'm, I'm de- developing. <laughs> Upon reflection, I'd say I know what worked probably the best. Um, I think that the combination of um, asking questions was really important instead of just giving direction. I think, you know, so what did you, what did you think about that? How did you feel about that swim? You know, regardless of what I thought, let's get some feedback. What do you think you did really well? What are the areas of improvement? And then go, okay, and then let the athlete ask me for what I thought. Usually what I do, depending on the individual, some individuals you just left alone. You say they needed needed time to go cool off. Um, So that was kind of what I, where I got to, I felt that was the best. Um, The other one that I thought was really interesting, and and I talked to the coaches, I'm more aware of it now, and I wish I'd done more of it back when I was coaching. And that is, is debriefing the great swims as much as I debrief the poor swims, right? So the ones that went well, there was a, there's a lot of like high five, good job, off you go, instead of sitting down and having actually the routine, the same routine. So you go through the same process. And recently I was, um, I was uh, um, out, I met with a sailing a young guy who's in the Olympic sailing team chatting with him about his routine and preparation and everything. And, you know, trying to learn a little bit more about other sports and fascinating that firstly, you know, these guys, their conditions are different every time. So they're, they, they can't prepare for something that they, they, they are constantly reacting to circumstances. So their whole, their whole race is, is quite incredible. Um, So, 
their training is, is quite rigorous. They've got a lot of core and stability work that they do in that. But the one thing that really struck me was their debriefing process. They do it. They do not leave the competition. Um, so it might be a day after they race, but they don't leave the, the, the actual location until they've done a full debrief. They do it there regardless of the outcome. And they do the process debrief with everybody who's involved in them. So when they get home, they're done. We tend to at times debrief a few days after a competition when we're back home, or at least that's what I did. And that means the athletes hanging on to things. So we're not helping the process. So there's a little bit of um, uh, routine I would have, would have liked to have been a bit better at um, and, and a bit more like put a bit more time into it. Um, so yeah, that, that's probably right now where I'm at. I, I think what I can do with my coaches is be a little bit more um, get, get them to see a little bit more how important it is for that routine to be in place. You, you do have multiple coaches supporting you and the squad. What are your recommendations to head coaches who are, are looking at managing that consistency across such a, a diverse and a, a widespread coaching group? Well, it's very important that one, they understand what their role, their role clarity is very important, their role clarity. So with myself working for Jocko um, over the last couple of campaigns and, you know, he get, he and I work really a lot on the role clarity. So my responsibilities on team with, with other coaches. And that was very, very important. It took, took a while, but we worked together. What that taught me was, and what I looked back and saw is that for me is in a leadership position, one role clarity, two empowerment to ensure that the, that, that the coach is able to do what, what you, what you're expecting them to do, or what it's agreed upon. Um, for, for a head coach, I think, you know, leadership to me is about you, you creating a clear vision and you're, and you're empowering those to deliver that clear vision for you. So they have to understand it, then they've got to be allowed to do it. And for me, it's about, you know, what do they need me? What, some coaches like me to check up on them and be a little bit more engaged. Some just leave them alone. They're off on the go and you can observe them from afar. There's different personalities. It's like athletes, different. Some athletes like to be, you know, they want you to give them feedback or they want to ask for feedback regularly. Um, the others just, you know, you just check in with them. So I think it's a, it's an individual thing. That's goes back to what I was saying about mentoring. You talked a little earlier about the attitudinal changes you made at Nutterwadding, uh, bringing the squad together with a simple routine. The Australian swimming team hasn't been immune on this topic in the past either, but what, is your advice to coaches in influencing disruptive peer pressure that can arise within a team? Well, we've got a great leadership group um, that, that exists with the team. And we talk to them a lot about awareness and things that might be, you know, bubbling up if there are uh, in relation to um, uh, that, that peer pressure. I think, you know, it's calling it out when you see it, if we do see it, I think, um, you know, the coaches have a responsibility of their own athletes that they're, you know, we lean on them a little bit. We have really hadn't had much of, of an issue at all. Um, and I think it's because we've got really, you know, like my athletes from say Nana who would go onto the national team were coming from an environment that really didn't tolerate. Again, I never, you know, saw anything, but if I did, if, if, if I were to in the early days, you just pull them up, call them out. And, 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 and look, it's like anything, <laughs> If an athlete sees somebody getting called out for a behavior, 
most most of them will go, well, I don't really want to get it to be put in that position. So that takes care of it. Um, I think that's kind of what we what we like to do. And I, and, and how you call them out sometimes isn't, isn't necessarily giving them a spray or, you know, I mean, it's 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 the individual. It's, it's pulling them aside, say, are you aware of this? Do you are you aware of what it does? Or it is somebody you need to say, hey, that's enough. Like, I, like I'm going to tolerate that. So I think we've got enough leadership within the group, but definitely in the athletes. They're a very good athlete group uh, who won't tolerate that either. So there's a good community there. Rowan, it happens to us all at some point in our careers, whether you're a elite athlete, a high-performance coach, or even a business professional – but I'm really interested to hear your top tips in dealing with self-doubt. Ooh, well, self-doubt is, I think, an ever-existing thing that we, we as human beings have, particularly when you're um, venturing into areas where you're accountable or you're, you know, whether you be accountable for, for leadership or accountable for your performance or whatever. Um, for me, I think... Um, I look, I look at, I use the reflection piece again. I look back and say, you know, to, to give myself confidence, what am, what's my track record in this space? So getting, getting an awareness of that. But also when I am, have been successful or I have been able to achieve, what were, the, what were the circumstances? What were the key pieces that were existing to ensure that I have those with me now? Um, and so I don't try to do too much beyond what I'm capable of. So I kind of limit my expectations. Um, but I have a purpose. So I replace it with a purpose. And that purpose is to deliver on whatever I've committed myself to. And, um, and I guess the self, the, the, the critic inside our head, you know, I try to be a little bit kinder to myself when, um, when that critic wants to, wants to tell me I could have done a little bit better. Um, I accept it and say, yeah, okay, fair enough, but move on. So reflect, look at my tra- past track record and, and understand what was in place. Um, and, and how, how that really helped me. Yeah, look, I couldn't agree more. I think we could all be a little kinder on ourselves sometimes with our criticisms, but I'm really interested if you have any other particular resources that you have found helpful as a coach. For me, the resources I find helpful are my sphere of influence, uh, the people I surround myself with. Um, as a, as a, what I would say is, the people I go to to tell me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. So they're the people that I know I can call and, and they'll give me feedback that uh, is helpful to, they, they understand what I'm trying to achieve. So that's probably my most important resource. Uh, and beyond that, I think we're, you know, looking at other, what other industries, sports industries do, like I'm very fascinated. And one of the reasons why when you reached out to me, I'm like, yeah, look, I think this is great. We want to explore beyond sport because I do feel there's some some synergies across you know if I'm going to be managing a, a group of people in, an, in, a, in, a, in a corporate environment I'd want to probably follow the same process I do now I got to get them on everybody on board and got to lead and you know all that and act as a community so I'm very interested so for me looking into those spaces I you know whether it's reading watching YouTube doing a I went on a study tour with a group of other coaches last year to the US and went to different industries and sports um, and and, our, and we went there with a purpose that was to look at how other sports and other industries um, created high performance environments to enhance either a product or an athlete. So that was really that key purpose. And we went to Google, Google X, uh, went to 
Palos Neuroscience. So these are a bit of the industry. Went to um, did Cirque du Soleil. Um, went to some ba- you know basketball teams and football teams and UFC and went to dismiss a bit of sport. But we did get a little bit of industry in there that was interesting. Um, and it was fascinating. But those things really, those are resources to me because they a lot of times they just reiterate what I what I feel is right. Hmm. Rowan, this is my last question today. On your appointment as head coach of the Dolphins, uh, it was Liesl actually that commented with Rowan, I don't know how he does it, but he just knows the right buttons to push for every person. He is really knowledgeable. He's really personable. He loves the athletes. He knows what makes a great athlete and he thinks outside of the box. What legacy do you believe you are leaving as a coach? Well, that was a pretty, pretty nice uh, statement there. Um, I'd like to think that, that I do, I look for, um, I'm prepared to look, look for whatever kind of avenue it is to ensure that the athlete has the best opportunity to perform at their best when it counts. Um, and I think my role as a coach and my legacy is that, 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 that I, have, I have looked at those and I've really exhausted it as best as possible um, and not just stayed in one lane, that you do consider other avenues that might help, um, you know, other sports, other sporting people. We used to do cross-training with the, with the AFL club um, in preseason. I used to bring in a um, – I brought in a synchro coach to do synchro training with my group in the first eight weeks of the season for sculling. And, you know, she was a Russian, um, Australian coach Russia, but from Russia. She was lovely, but she was also just no, no funny business. And I always felt like bringing other people in who can enhance what I'm doing. So, yeah, like I, I feel like I'm innovative, innovative. And, uh, but can, I think innovation, not just for the sake of innovation, I never lose the core value of what is this athlete trying to achieve, right? So I don't dictate what the athlete's trying to achieve. I just try to surround them with, with, with ways of enhancing so they get to where they need to be. Rowan, it has been such a privilege and a pleasure speaking with you today. The Dolphins are in great hands, and I wish you and the squad every success. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. Really, really pleasure talking. The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Paul here, and you have been listening to our discussion with Rowan Taylor, the coach of the Australian swimming team, also known as the Dolphins. The parts of the discussion that resonated most with me were the idea of coaches needing to be more committed than their athlete, the consistency in behavior and mood of the coach being an important element of driving athlete performance, debriefing the great swims as much as you do the poor swims, and replacing expectations with your purpose when your internal critic is causing you to self-doubt. In our next episode, we will be speaking to Rick Charlesworth, the legendary coach of the Australian men's and women's hockey teams. Here is a sneak peek. And leadership is, is, in my opinion, only about two things. It's about real definition about where you want to go knowing where the end point is, where you're heading. And then it's about being able to persuade people and take them with you. And you do that in all sorts of ways. You do that by the example you set. You do that by your rhetoric. You do that by the science and, and, and uh, tactics and, and uh, by gathering evidence in a whole range of ways uh, to, to convince people that this is the way we ought to go. 
but at the same time you do that in the sporting context, you also have to look at the athletes who are in your team or the people who are in your team and you have to make the most of them. You have to discover a way which utilizes their skills and abilities. And just before we leave, if you know a great coach who has a unique story to share, then we would love to hear from you. Please contact us using the details in the show notes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.